0: All right, welcome to a special episode of Small Screeners Slash Because Movies. I'm Chris. Uh, No AJ this episode. I got a couple of buddies here with me. We went to the Chattanooga Film Festival in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh last month that was uh i believe it was june 23rd through the 30th maybe because there was uh, the weekend event that was live and in person they also had several days of virtual events as well afterwards uh it was the 10th anniversary of the chattanooga film festival i had been once before fairly short drive from from where i'm based and where my buddies are from so they joined me i'm gonna introduce them real quick uh bill and his son david say hello guys hello we're going to be joining chris on this
1: episode to talk about our trip there and uh david is my son so and uh bill was my dad
0: so so <laughs> okay got it so before we jump into the the uh, film festival stuff you don't have to come up with like a definitive you know top three but just to give people an idea of you know fandom of movies what what would you say like three of your favorite movies are bill you can go ahead and go first you're putting me on the spot here Chris I, I, well, you- I said you don't have to be definitive. you don't have to give me your top three um
1: I'm gonna say uh I'm a big fan of Die Hard, the best Pretty Christmas movie. movie ever made, and let's see here. I'm a big fan of sin City mm. uh, Robert Rodriguez, and I would have to say a Tarantino film, probably either the Kill Bill Volume One and Two, or possibly. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
0: That's uh, interesting because I like Tarantino fine, but um, it seems like, and I liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, well enough. Basically since Kill Bill Volume 2, I haven't been that impressed with most of his. I guess Glorious Bastards is really good, but like the like Django and um, uh, what was the other Western he did? Uh, Hateful Eight. Yeah, Hateful Eight. Uh, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I kind of were just like mediocre on all those but you were a big fan of Once Upon a Time I guess oh yeah I've watched Uh, I
1: don't uh, hardly ever watch movies multiple times anymore yeah but I've watched that three times since it was released and Mm -hmm. that's a lot for me
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I don't think I've seen uh, any of those a second time the ones that I the the last three I guess Hateful Eight I did watch you know Netflix flipped that up into a, a series like an extended version but it's in four parts Right. And I started watching that a couple years ago. I watched like the first two parts, and I don't think I ever finished watching those either. I really like that, the, like the performances in that movie, but I didn't think it was all that great overall. But anyway, David, what about you? You got three of your favorite movies you can throw out there for people.
2: Well, you kind of caught me at a bad time because I've been mainly getting the comic books recently, and I haven't been yeah. dabbling in films as much. So this isn't going to be my favorite films, but just three films that jump to mind that I know I like. Sure. One film that I uh, saw, I think last year, that I really enjoyed was the Hasty Heart with Ronald Reagan. Is it a western? It's a uh, a military
1: thing. Oh, okay. It's about it's about this um, soldier that gets diagnosed that he's uh, has a terminal illness, mm-hmm. and the doctor for I don't remember all the specific, but they decided he only had a few weeks to live. They decided not to tell him. And uh, but the, guy, the dude was a douchebag, and so everybody starts trying to be really nice to him and make his last few weeks enjoyable, and he does not make it easy on anybody.
0: <laughs> so is it a comedy?
1: No, it's well there are comedic moments
2: in it, but it's more like a it's like a thing of seeing them build disconnection over time and seeing his reaction when he finally finds out. Gotcha. Ronald Reagan is like the guy who's like given most focus or trying to become his friend. Mm. Another movie I saw that I really enjoyed was a Lupon the third movie called uh, Castle Cagliostro. It mm. was uh it was directed by Haro Miyazaki and it's probably the one Lupon movie that pretty much everybody has heard of. It's about yeah, I didn't uh, realize
0: that was a lupon movie. I I've heard of Castle Cagliostro. Close enough, I think. <laughs> but I didn't realize, and, I, and I've heard of Lupin the third, but I didn't realize they were they were related or whatever. I've never seen it.
2: Well, basically, you know, usually he's pulling some heist to get money or something, but this time he's pulling a heist to rescue a princess. And uh, another movie I saw recently that I really liked was
0: Ratatouille. Pixar film? Yes. Was that like your first time seeing it? Yeah, like two years ago, I think. I've never seen... Uh... Ratatouille. I, I'm a fan of uh, Rekha Cooney from yeah. everything, everywhere all at once, but I haven't seen uh, <laughs> Ratatouille. Well, uh, people, if anybody listening uh, has probably heard uh, me talk about movies I like uh, plenty, so I'll just throw out Empire Strikes Back, L.A. Confidential, and Gremlins 2. <laughs> There's three of my favorite movies. Uh, at, least you did, at
1: least you didn't say Ghostbusters too.
0: Well, I mean, they already know that. David, have you seen Ghostbusters 2 yet?
2: Uh, Like, more than five years ago, I saw, like, the first 20 minutes.
0: Mm, Well, you need to go back and finish it.
2: (laughs) I know, I know, but I keep forgetting
0: to. (sighs) Uh, Understandable. So, uh, Chattanooga Film Festival, it's, you know, fairly expansive. It's uh, a three-day live event, and then I think four or so days virtual. Um, We didn't actually... I think we only watched four movies while we were there on site, but we'll just kind of go through those individually and kind of talk about what we liked about them, didn't like about them, etc. Before we do that, overall, what did you think about the film festival experience? Have either of you ever been to a film festival before or anything like that? No, sir. No, I haven't. It was a very interesting and enlightening experience.
1: I Mm -hmm. felt like I learned a lot about how conventions operate from going there. I, uh... It wasn't at all what I expected. I thought it would be like uh, multiple screenings mm-hmm. of things going on at the same time, and you had a schedule, and you kind of like Comic-Con, you know, when they've got different uh, sessions yeah. that you can go to, and they're all going on at the same time. You have to kind of pick what you want to go see. I had the same expectations.
0: Yeah. Um, the fact I I that a little bit all of- in one screening room, I, I don't know, it just surprised me. Yeah, I think we talked. I talked a little bit about this while we were there because I had been to one Chattanooga Film Festival, in, I think 2017, and uh, it was more like that. It was in they had like blocked off a section of like an AMC I think movie theater, so there were four like three or four screens going, uh, you know, constantly. They had uh, a lot of vendors uh, like outside of the theater, stuff like that, and this one was. I mean, I don't know if it was because they're coming off the pandemic. They haven't hadn't done a live event, I think, since 2019. Uh, this was their first live event since then that they had done in person. Uh, so maybe they, they had something to do with it. But yeah, this one was all like in a ballroom of the, this hotel where they were hosting the festival. And they had like what maybe like a eight foot by 10 foot screen in this ballroom. And the I mean, the video and sound was fine like it was really well the presentation was really good but yeah there was only one movie you know or event going on at any given time so there were that was one of the reasons why i think we didn't get to see like i didn't get to see a lot of the stuff that i was kind of hoping to watch because a lot of it was virtual virtual uh, only it was that they were playing only online after the in person event was over with, and I had work and stuff the next week. So, Monster Squad for you. Well, they did have a Monster Squad screening. That <laughs> the first year I went, I had three things I was that convinced me to go. Joe Bob Briggs was doing a presentation there. Montra Squad was having uh, like a, a throwback screening with a couple of the cast members and this horror movie, The Void, that I had seen the trailer for and was really excited about was playing there. So they did have a Montre Squad like screening at this like uh, brewery or something the night before we got there, but uh, but yeah, I didn't get to partake in that. <laughs> but I still enjoyed the 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 uh, the film festival. I don't want to put it down or anything because I I thought it was a. Overall a really good presentation and there were some cool events and movies and stuff, but I was kind of taken aback that it was a smaller scale than the one I'd back. been to before. Say again.
1: I said I would definitely go back.
0: Yeah, I'm I, I expect I'll probably go back next year. So hey, maybe we'll make another trip out of it. Maybe we will. But um let's uh kind of dive into to the movies. We'll just go in chronological order, you know, of, of what uh what we watched. The first was a documentary called Satan Wants You. Directors are listed as Steve J. Adams and Sean Horler. Writers same. Uh, this is a documentary about, specifically about Michelle remembers, which is a book that came out in the late '70s or early '80s that kind of uh, kicked off like what people think of as the Satanic Panic of the '80s and early '90s. Now, I was really excited about this one because. For the last several years, I've been like mildly obsessed with satanic panic stuff. <laughs> I've like listened to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of uh, articles and stuff on all that stuff. So I'd, I've actually got a copy of Michelle remembers. I haven't read. I bought one on eBay a few years ago. In in like looking stuff up about that book, I would always hear like that Michelle Smith. I knew she had been like on a lot of TV shows and stuff, uh, like Oprah and stuff like that. But I had trouble. Finding like archival footage of that, like on YouTube and stuff. But this movie had like a lot of that stuff that I'd never seen before. So for that reason, I liked it quite a bit. I just find that whole period like really interesting. And so I I like the movie quite a bit. There was also a podcaster that I, I don't listen to her podcast, but I'm familiar with it. It's called You're Wrong About. And uh, she's done a lot of stuff, episodes of up on Satanic Panic So Her name's Sarah Marshall. She was kind of featured in the documentary. They had uh, Michelle Smith's sister. Um, and I guess I haven't really even said what the book's about. <laughs> the book was uh, written by her psychiatrist, Lawrence Pastor, who took her through like aggressive memory therapy. And she had all these memories of being like part of satanic rituals when she was a kid, like that her mom had kind of uh, gifted her to this satanic cult. And she had participated in these rituals and been abused that way and stuff. And uh, that's what the book was. It was a, a true life account of, of her uh, experiences with that, that her and her uh, therapist had written. Uh, and the movie goes into a lot of detail about her life and and their relationship and stuff like that. So not one to give like a bunch of spoilers for, for these, but there will be mild spoilers. If anybody's interested in this stuff, uh, just go that <laughs> know that going in. So anyway, I really like this movie. Uh, I know, Bill, you weren't as big a fan of it as I was. But what did you think about it? I'm trying to
1: think of exactly what it was that uh, irritated me. I think it—I felt like it was a little too one-sided. Yeah. Uh, and uh, especially with its—I don't want to use the word disdain. It wasn't disdain, <laughs> but just the way that they kind of implied how dangerous religion can be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that that I felt that they were a little unfair on some of those points. But overall, I mean— it was entertaining to watch, but like yeah. you say, I just didn't like it as much as you
0: did. Yeah one one thing. Speaking of being like kind of one sided, like one thing that I kind of you know, I mean, I don't really care that much because like I agree with most of the, like the points that they were making uh, aside of some, from maybe some of the religious, you know, attacks on religion and stuff specifically. But they they never like gave any indicate like. The idea, like that, in the '80s, there were satanic cults running rampant in America, <laughs> sacrificing people and stuff like that. Is uh, I think at this point, proven to be pretty much nonsense. But not like you know, there are cases of people who there's a there's a guy who killed his parents. I think I can't remember his name offhand. That uh, he he did it, and you know, he, and maybe it was. Some people may say, "Well, it was because his uh, defense kind of depended on him being crazy or whatever." So he said he did it as a sacrifice to Satan. There's um. The Chicago Ripper crew, which was like a really uh, hideous group of guys in Chicago in like the early 80s that murdered prostitutes and they had like, you know, participated in like satanic rituals and stuff. But it was all, I think, nonsense. Like the ringleader was just thought that stuff was cool. So, so I mean, there is some like evidence like that that some of that kind of stuff happened, but like not to the level and extent that.
1: Yeah, I agree. The- they, uh, They kind of downplayed the, uh, and I know, you know, as far as organized Satanism is, you know, usually it's just people who are mentally unstable. Right, right. Hear voices and things like that. But that doesn't mean that that there's not sinister stuff out there. It's just Mm -hmm. the Satanic panic, you know, went way overboard. Uh, What about you,
0: David? What did you think of that one?
2: I thought that the film was informative and informational and that I learned a lot of interesting pieces of info from it, a lot of interesting tidbits from it. Mm-hmm. I uh, thought that there was a good showing of uh, America and their obsession with things to be outweighed by that seems to come every few months, <laughs> from uh, art to games to comics to film, television. They're always mm-hmm. getting very upset over something, and whenever somebody yells something loud enough, there's always going to be those who believe it. and. Uh, I just hate the idea of people who didn't do anything getting punished for something they didn't do that could happen during that period, you know? People getting blamed for things. Especially the artist. I will say that, in my opinion, Satan Wants You. (laughs) Yeah! That's a terrible title. (laughs) In my opinion, Satan Wants You uh, was an informative watch, and uh, there were a lot of uh, interesting interviews with people who were involved during that time with different things. I believe uh, a couple of relatives of the cell was involved in the interviews. A couple of uh, what? Sorry? Relatives. Yeah. And uh, that Mr. Pastor fellow, was that his name? Yeah. I found it a very good comedic touch how at the very tail end, they flashed that little uh, thing that says, Mr. Pastor refused to give an
0: interview. <laughs> I like actually, I, said, well, I was going to say, uh, I think he had already passed away, but they, they did say they contacted Michelle and she refused to participate or whatever so yeah oh. uh the ending where it shows the
2: upside down cross uh spinning around like a top mm-hmm. was uh it had an unsettling vibe to it there was a bit of unsettling vibe about the whole proceedings when the master of would come out and say hey everybody i hope you saw a great satanic movie <laughs> yeah
1: it was it was also creepy the the psychiatrist and uh and michelle's relationship and that all of that part was you know really creepy
0: yeah I, I, another thing that the the uh documentary had that i'd never heard anything of before was they had like actual recordings of their sessions where she was doing like the progressive memory stuff which is kind of like hypnotism i guess and a lot of that stuff was pretty unsettling too because clearly she had something going on um but. He was such an
2: abusive and manipulative man, mm. and it's interesting to think how he tried to frame himself as basically the hero of the story when he was taking advantage of this woman, and yeah. I'm not saying he was blameless, but I am saying that, you know, he,
0: he definitely set off some red alarms. <laughs> yeah. Well, um let's move on to our next one. Uh the next one we watched another documentary, King on Screen, which is essentially a uh one, a fun documentary about uh Stephen King and the all the various adaptations he's had over the years of his uh if his works. Daphne, no, nah, I'm gonna butcher it, this last name.
1: They were really fond of. Yes,
2: I wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll during get to the, that. Uh, during the documentary, there yeah. were several film samples they gave of uh Films based off his work. I think there were a couple I never heard of before, and they uh, went into detail about a lot of them. And it was uh, very interesting to learn the bat stories behind them and how they were made and stuff. And I didn't know that there were adaptations of Stephen King's work made so recently. Besides for *It*, of course. Mm-hmm. One film they talked about, which I don't believe I had ever heard of before, was called *The Green Mile*. And in spite of that, the they did a really good job at going into details how it was made. And because of this documentary, I've actually gained an interest in going to see that
0: movie. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to, you know, mention that as well. They I don't know. Let's see. The runtime for this movie is an hour forty five. I mean, it seemed like they spent 20 minutes on Green Mile. <laughs> they. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I like this. This documentary it was interesting. I like a lot of these uh, more recent documentaries that have come out about. Basically, documentaries about movies and filmmakers and stuff like that. And it was entertaining, and, and a lot of interesting stuff was covered. But yeah, they I think they spent more time on The Green Mile than any other movie <laughs> to the point where I was really ready for him to move on <laughs> eventually. Maybe it's a case of that's a movie they had a lot of like uh, background video and, and archival footage and stuff from, and so they wanted to utilize it or something like that. I don't know, but, but yeah, I, I like a lot of Stephen King movies, so... I definitely dug the this one. Um what uh what other uh, movies David did you were you unaware of that you wanted to to try and seek out besides uh Green Mile? Uh none. <laughs> so just that one. Uh you know, you mentioned I, that uh there were a lot more recent King adaptations outside of it and yeah, It Chapter 1 was such a big hit like it kind of revived a lot of his properties and then they started kind of putting them out left and right there for the last four or five years so netflix did several i haven't seen all of them but i've seen quite a few of them and it chapter one kind of stands out still as the as the cream of the crop on those but bill what'd you think about this one
1: yeah it was it was it was good um i think all all, almost everybody has at least one even if you've never read which i have not i've never read a single stephen king book but i would say i'm a fan of his work just because you know, he's he's you know, Stand by Me is one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. Even though he didn't crack the top three, you know, Misery, you know, there's he's, there's so many movies that aren't even necessarily, you know, his typical creature feature type thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, he he just he's so prolific. You have to admire it. I just wish they'd have done
0: better with the uh, the Tower series. <laughs> you mean the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was uh that was a rough one. <laughs> not, not a not of very good movie.
1: I I was excited about it because I I the one thing I did read is they did a comic book based on the tower or yeah. at least a, an intro comic. I I don't know. I I don't think it was much more than maybe a couple of issues, mm. but it was really entertaining. I enjoyed
0: it. Yeah, I uh I remember when that lead up to that movie was coming out and and they had, you know, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey were the kind of the two leads and it just seemed like it was going to be really cool. And I'd never read any of those Dark Tower books, but I, uh, at the time, I had the bookstore. So I was, I had some of them in the store. So I read The Gunslinger, which is the first of those novels, like in the weeks leading up to the, the movie coming out. And then, like, after I watched the movie, it just killed my desire <laughs> to keep reading the, the, dark tower novels. I'll, I'll eventually get to them, I think, cuz I hear they're they're really good, but yeah, not a great movie. I don't think they even really covered that one in. <laughs> they made a point to the documentary kind of- itself was good.
1: I it, it could have been a little shorter. I, I, and, you know, the, the f- festival was fun, but I have to complain about those chairs. <laughs> Yeah, you spend more than an hour in those chairs, and it, there's almost no padding on them. They they were not great. It feels like they got each of them for a buck on Craigslist.
0: Yeah, I I uh, I get what you're saying. I, I didn't have as much problem with it, but it, yeah, they weren't ideal. Wasn't the ideal situation. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to bring a pillow from the hotel. Uh, Might have been. I, I I seriously considered it. <laughs> Somebody else did. Yeah there was one
1: lady at least one that had a pillow. Uh
0: let's let's move to uh then actually before we do the next two movies there was uh if I'm doing this in chronological order I believe the uh, how to sell a haunted house presentation was in between the, those two, from, the two doc we just talked about, were the first night, and then on Saturday afternoon, we we went to this uh "How to Sell a Haunted House" presentation, which is Grady Hendrix, a horror author, was there, and uh, he did about an hour-long sort of show on uh, to to co- to coincide with this newest novel, which is called "How to Sell a Haunted House," and he sort of opened it with this like somber reading of passage from uh, "Haunting of Hill House." The Shirley Jackson, I believe, is the author's name of that book. Classic haunted house novel. And uh, he kind of transitioned from from that into this kind of a comedic retailer or uh, realtor huckster sort of like he, he like he's speaking like to. Like to sorry, like a seminar. Yeah, like he, he's talking to a, a bunch of realtors and it was very comedic. He had a lot, you know, there's a, it was a slide presentation. He talked a lot about the history of the haunted house genre. He would always kind of tie it into how you would sell a house that was haunted, you know, if you were in the, in the realtor business, I thought it was really entertaining. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Had a chance to, they, they were selling some of his, his books there at, on site. So I, I bought a copy of a book that I'd listened to the audio book of and, and got a, a signature and a picture and stuff with him. He, he was a really nice dude. You guys have uh thoughts on on that presentation david he was a very charismatic individual he had a very good comedic
2: timing and uh listening to him it was very clear that he had a lot of love for what he was talking about because it feels to me less like he had a major point to make and more like uh we had a point at the end but for the majority of it he was talking about legends and stories and books about ghosts Mm. and he connected it all with the realtor stuff but it honestly felt more like he just really loved talking about ghosts and he needed some way to tie everything together to talk about all this interesting stuff he knew about
1: the one to Sarah. Yeah. Uh, Bill, what do you think about it? I, I thought it was probably the highlight of the festival. I really enjoyed it. I liked mm-hmm. his, his demeanor. I think I, I mentioned it to you after it was over that his demeanor was very somber. And I remember thinking, yeah, either this dude is a pompous jerk that thinks he's you know got <laughs> a gift, you know, or he's just doesn't have a lot of personality. Because mm-hmm. you know, before he got up there to give his presentation, he was up front and he was. He just had a totally different demeanor, and he came up, like you said, and started reading from that passage, and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> but then, you know, once he started going, then he kind of came came alive and became very charismatic, and he, he kind of dropped that whole persona, and then afterwards, you know, he went for the meet and greet, and I mean, he was just a totally different, you know, very charismatic guy. Yeah. So the presentation was, I thought it was the highlight of the weekend.
2: It was like that scene from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory where everybody's <laughs> waiting for hours and they finally come out. They want to see what he's like. And when he comes out, he's like walking with a limp with a cane, like an old man. And it takes like five minutes to get there. But then when he finally gets to like uh, the crowd, he like does a backflip.
0: Mm-hmm. What did you think about it? Yeah, I, I agree that it was one of, if not the highlight. Uh, yeah, it was. I thought it was really entertaining. Uh, and there was a lot of, like, you learn a lot of history of, like, the haunted house genre through it as well. But he kept it really light and funny. And he kind of brought it home at the end with, like, a, a more serious, like David said, a more serious note. That, and I just thought the whole thing was really interesting and entertaining. He, he has a book called Paperbacks from Hell that I believe you've got a copy of, Bill. And I was going to mention... Uh, he's got another book from from last year that I thought you might be interested in called These Fists Break Bricks: How Kung Fu Movies Swept America and Changed the World, which I had kind of forgotten about. I know you like kung fu movies. That sounds like it's right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I I had forgotten that he had done that one. That one was more recent, but uh, yeah, Grady Hendricks, really nice dude from the from the brief interaction I had had with him, and and really if you have a chance to see his presentation, I would recommend it for for sure, and. um Looking forward to reading or, or listening to uh, his book. I've got a copy of it on my Audible account that I haven't listened to yet. So moving on to Sour Party, which was the first – I don't want to say real movie because documentary is a real movie, but the first like narrative, I guess, movie. So Sour Party is a, a comedy about two friends, two girls who are – it's kind of one of those – um all-in-a-day movies, so it's about them spending the day trying to get enough money to buy one of the sisters, uh, sorry, one of the one of the friend's sisters a um, gift for her baby shower. So they're kind of going around town in LA trying to find enough money, uh, scrounge up enough money to get a gift for, for her sister, running into a bunch of kooky characters and stuff like that. Directed by Amanda Drexton and Michael Drexton, written by the same as well as Samantha Westervelt. I believe Amanda Drexel and Samantha Westervelt were the two leads in the movie as well. Uh, what did you guys think about this one? We'll start with you, Bill. Um, I thought it was very good. It kind of has
1: like a, uh, almost like a Laverne and Shirley kind of feel to it. Only if Laverne and Shirley was a little more raunchy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and oh my goodness, it was. there were a lot of interesting characters throughout the movie. I found the the two leads to be kind of annoying but not in like a I can't watch this movie kind of way but kind of you just want to see what they're going to do next and it, when bad things happen to them it's not like it bothers you that much
0: <laughs> like they uh, had it coming
1: but it, you know it and I don't mean that in a negative way at all I mean it's just it is what it is but and then of course some of the cameos of the quirkier characters and Corey Feldman being in it was surprising. But yeah, it, it was probably the second my second favorite
0: event that we went to. Uh what about you, David? How would you think of Sour Party?
1: It was okay. Our two
2: main leads are uh varying degrees of absent minded and uh their escapades are what move the plot forward. There were some funny moments in there. I like the uh this line that they have in the opening where they uh Where they're talking about all the reasons why they think the world is terrible. And one of them says, You know, uh, satellite dishes kill birds. And the other one says, What? Yeah, the light blinds them, and they fly right into the dish. Somebody should do something! I, uh, one thing is that, uh, the main character is, see, uh, sees a very prideful character. She's out to prove a point more so than anything. Her sister just wants her to be there for the event, but she's hell-bent on making it seem as if she has her life well put together. Mm -hmm. And in trying to keep up this facade, she ends up giving herself a wake-up call by meeting all these uh, different people to realize, no, her life isn't well put together. (laughs) And no, she's not going to show up with clean
0: hair. Yeah, that was – a. Uh, um, I like that gag, that recurring gag of uh, her sister and her mom constantly reminding her, like, to make sure she has clean hair when she gets to the, the party.
2: I'm guessing that's like a joke about them not wanting her to
0: show up with dyed hair. I, I, I just took it as her, she's just such a train wreck that she doesn't bathe regularly, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has like a uh,
2: a green or blue streak in her hair, so I thought that was like, you know, a disapproving family moment.
0: Yeah, it could uh, be. Yeah, she she has really weird like her her hair is kind of like a brownish color, but there are patches of like green, like clearly dyed green, like in a couple different spots. So yeah, I have to wonder what ended up happening to them
2: after the movie is over. There's just a couple of lovable disaster people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, I kind of agree. I thought it was. Uh, Really entertaining, especially like Gwen is uh, played by Samantha Westervelt. That's the the girl who has the sister. She's trying to get the uh, the money together. She was uh, really funny and charismatic. Uh, I mean, both the leads were really, but especially her. And yeah, there was you know Corey Feldman, Reggie Watts showed up who I don't even really know what Reggie Watts is famous for. I know who he is as a celebrity that he's a celebrity, but I (laughs) I don't know like I'm guessing he he was he's a musician. Oh, okay, okay, but yeah, there were there were some cool cameos and a lot of interesting characters. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I liked it quite a bit. Last one we got is Molly Wait. and Max. Sorry, go ahead. Let's talk about. Uh, we need to talk about how the
2: festivities were different there than all the other movies because it was the only one where they got the cast there to come out after the movie that, was over and, yeah, and that's talk.
0: Tr- yeah that's true the uh, the leads the lead character the lead actors were there as well as the director and some of the crew and stuff they were there to do it. they did like a little Q&A after the, and it was also that was the busiest that was i think the only showing we went to which it was saturday at like 7 so it was like a prime time i guess that's the only one that i think if we had not gotten there on time we may not have gotten a seat you know it was it was a packed house for that screening uh yeah. so camaraderie yeah but there
2: was one member I don't remember if she was one of the actresses or if she was like a producer or something. But uh, she came in and she was very enthusiastic about the movie <laughs> she was, uh, was a part of. She was she specifically came in from the like the white and uh, walking in the frame, and she had a microphone and she was holding the microphone too close to her mouth
0: and she was talking about how this was the greatest movie ever. <laughs> Yeah, I believe she was um, either the costume designer or maybe the set designer. Yeah, she was super uh, enthusiastic. I thought it was a little eye-rolly, uh, <laughs> but I will give it this. The crowd was into it. The, <laughs> the crowd really dug it. Yeah, she was really excited about celebrating cinema, basically, and independent cinema specifically. But um, yeah, I ca- think she played the main character's sister.
1: Oh, is that the case? Okay. Yeah, I think. I'm not 100%, but that's what I remember anyway.
2: Okay. Talk about being different from your character. After it was over, the Master of Festivities came out again, and he mentioned that there were succulents for free in the the outside room. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, my mind made two connections. The first is that succulent can mean delicious, and the second is that succulent sounds like sustenance. And I have forgotten that they were talking about succulents at the beginning of this movie. And because of that, I thought there was free food outside. Mm -hmm. So I went out hoping for free food, and instead there were plants.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if those were... I don't. I'd never heard the term succulent before as as a as a plant. I don't know if those are supposed to be edible, like are, are those vegetables, or if they're just some kind of plant that you admire. I don't know. I did not or, partake. But I want to mention that the opening of the movie before the credits officially woe
2: and the plot begins was actually they mentioned in the Q and A that it was a short film they were doing, and they decided uh, we purpose it as the cold open for this movie. The bit of the, uh, that guy after they steal the succulents. Mm-hmm, gotcha.
0: All right, anything left unsaid on Sour Party before we move to the last one? I'm gone. All right, uh, the last one, last film we checked out uh, was Molly and Max in the Future. This one's kind of a, this is a weird one. <laughs> I'll just read the, uh, the synopsis they have listed on IMDb. A sci-fi romantic comedy about a man and woman whose orbits repeatedly collide over the course of 12 years, four planets, three dimensions, and one space cult. So... I'll start with you, Bill. What do you think about Molly and Max in the future?
1: I like quirky movies, and um, especially ones that are done on what is obviously a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the the main girl, I can't remember her name. Uh, Do you have her name in front of you?
0: I don't know how to pronounce it, I don't think, but it's uh, Zosia Mamet. I've seen
1: her in a few other TV shows and movies and stuff, and so I always kind of thought she was a little underrated as an actress. And mm-hmm. I thought she she was she shined in this she was really good in it and uh you know it's just it's just weird and quirky, and I thought it was I liked it because you know it would never get made within a big Hollywood system, yeah, and it's it's basically just about uh, two individuals trying to connect and a real simple plot from that standpoint, but they took that simple trope and was able to stretch it and tie it and Uh, make it into a really weird journey. Mm -hmm. And I I just thought it was, I thought it was well done.
2: They took it into some real uh, uh, Futurama-esque (laughs) duet with the plots and locations and humor
1: and story beats. And I also thought it too, which almost any movie made nowadays falls into this caveat that it's just too
0: long. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see what the running time is. Um... Hour 33, that seems short. I don't, maybe that is the case. That's what it's listed at as IMDb. But yeah, it did, especially the last like 20 minutes. It felt like it condensed that quite a bit. Really, I thought it kind of dragged towards the end. But I'll echo pretty much everything you said. I thought it was really inventive and and, uh, really funny. Uh, The other lead, Max of Mali and Max, was Aristotle Athari, Mm -hmm. maybe? Who I I was not familiar with. I, I wasn't familiar with the girl either. The only cast member I think that I recognized in the entire movie was the guy that had the lobster hand. Uh, <laughs> and I only really recognized him because he had just been in the Weird Al movie on Roku. So I, I actually was surprised that, like, if this uh, Aristotle Athari, who played Max, was on SNL for a while. Uh, like you said, uh, you had seen the girl who played Molly in, I think you said you saw her in Girls, the HBO show, maybe? Yeah. Yeah so but but i was kind of as i was watching it i was under the impression this was like a movie with like no names in it not only low budget but like and basically amateur cast and everything but that wasn't necessarily the case because a lot of these people had have done things i just wasn't that familiar with them i really love like you know there's like really cheesy stop motion special effects that i always kind of appreciate that kind of stuff and it works really well in a comedy whereas if it were like a more serious movie that kind of that the silliness of that would work uh, against it, but I thought it worked really great in in this movie. And I, re- you know, despite my complaint about it kind of dragging towards the end, I really liked it a lot. I thought I'll probably you know buy this on Blu-ray if they if it gets like a release. I I would definitely like to watch this again. The other than the the length, the only real complaint I had was there's this ongoing subplot of what is clearly a 2016 election parody of of this guy called turbo schmuck who's like a demon that's running for president of the universe yeah uh, it's clearly supposed to be trump and then there's uh he's running against a woman who people just don't like and it's clearly supposed to be hillary and hey i don't like trump at all but i was like this that was seven years ago <laughs> like, <that's> t- <laughs> it just seemed kind of hacky to to have like a, an extended subplot of that's such a direct parody of, of that. But overall, I really liked the movie a lot, and I'm looking forward to to watching it again. I liked it more than Sour Party. I think I'm probably in the minority. I think most people that were at the festival anyway preferred Sour Party. But what about you, David? You haven't said anything about this in re- really yet. What did what'd you think about Ma- Molly and Max? This was a bad idea.
2: Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was a very good movie, a very funny, fast-paced movie. And... Uh, I'm. I was thinking the exact same thing about the Donald Trump subplot, but I wasn't going to say anything because I thought maybe it was just me and I was seeing something that wasn't there. <laughs> I, uh, when I saw that, I thought, "Oh, is this an older movie?" Because seems like that's a topical reference to yeah. make. It's meant to be a part of this. I guess a character arc, kind of, where uh, Molly and Max feel powerless to help the situation. Like, nothing yep. they do is going to save the world from what's about to happen. Thing is, they set up, even, like, I think even before they decide to, like, try a campaign for the other party, that the world is going to blow up in a hundred years, and everything is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And basically, the only way to stop it is to stop, making, is to stop making cheese. But, you know, cheese makes a lot of money, so they're going to keep making it anyway, even right. though it's going to destroy everything. <laughs> yeah. I think it represents the helplessness of the situation the idea that a demon of all things is going to be in power and there's nothing like an individual can do to change that but yeah. they also decide to make it a trump parody at the same time which i mean uh, if you haven't seen this movie i just want to let you know that when i talk about being a parody of trump i don't mean that like uh, he has like a toupee and he talks like this <laughs> apart from the basic idea of there's this evil guy that you should not like that everybody loves is going to win. Mm-hmm. And his name, his last name, kind of sounds like Trump a little bit if you squint. Other than that, he's not really a duet like pastis. He's like this, uh, he's the funny character. He's like this incredibly
0: over the top evil person. Yeah, uh, uh, Michael. Carnoose or Chernoose. I'm having a really bad time pronouncing these names. Uh, The guy who plays Turbo Schmuck is really, really funny. And I thought the character was really funny, too. I just thought that the parody part was like a little overplayed by quite a stretch but um but yeah the, i thought he was really funny i really and he wasn't uh like you said he wasn't a direct parody of trump's mannerisms or way of speaking or anything like that he was just like an evil demon that was quite open about his evilness <laughs> and everybody loved him anyway something that i'm guessing you and dad probably would have wanted cut
2: that i'm glad was in the movie because i thought it was really funny and clever was uh had when he goes into like that dimension between dimensions where everything is and isn't. I really like the part where he's talking about swinging those cats and he's explaining the idea of the cat is both alive and dead. Like he's going over the basic theoretical idea and uh, in a way that a novice could understand. And then yeah. he goes from the left field and says, So the cat decided to start a podcast about it. <laughs> And I like that he actually has talking to the cat, and he introduces, the he like, that scene, I can't really, like, just sit down and tell you everything he says in that scene, but it's really funny the way his dialogue is written, how reserved he is, and how he's just sort of accepted his lot in life as he calls up, and he's like, hello, I'm both calling you and not calling you, and how he's like, yes, I'm talking to this version of you, but after you hang up, the other version of you is going to call, and I'm going to have to talk to her, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you think someone, it sounds just weird. But when you (laughs) see it, it's uh, the acting and the writing and the presentation is done the way that really sells the joke.
0: Yeah. You know, your comparison of uh, it being almost like a live action Futurama episode is, is apt. I thought that that's a pretty good comparison. I love that the entire thing was done on a green screen. Yeah, they show some behind the scenes stuff, bloopers and stuff in the credits that show some of that. Yeah. I love the... There were a lot of things that I found very interesting
2: about the art, the Wetson, and the, uh, I guess you would call it the character design and stuff. And all the little future inventions they bring in for gags or plot points to move along their character arts together. thing is, like uh, it's not like they get together and they break up and then they get back together. Right. It's not that they're scared of the concept of being together for a lot of the movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's not tra- it's not like a traditional romantic comedy in the sense of it's a couple that keeps breaking up or or, or whatever. They're they're never really a couple, you know. Throughout the movie, they're just like kind of good friends that clearly are interested in each other or whatever. One thing I will say is that I'm not going to say she rebounded because
2: you can't rebound if you never start dating somebody. But she kind of rebounded from the fist guy to the lobster guy and those two creature <laughs> type guys, and I wonder if that was an intentional thing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, anything, uh, anything else on Mike and Molly before we uh, wrap up? Yes, I believe her name is pronounced Maui. I think that's how you say her name. Wee? I'm joking about how you were trying to figure out how to pronounce your actress's name. (laughs) Okay.
0: Uh, Anything else from you, Bill, on this one?
1: No. And, uh, you know, I would go back again, even if I didn't enjoy the film, just because I enjoyed the company. I will say one thing. That was the
2: movie where there were less people there. So I took advantage of that and just sort of sat on several seats as if it was a bed to try and be more comfortable because those seats were horrible.
1: (laughs) But uh, Um, yeah, we enjoyed ourselves. We enjoyed the company. And uh, with the exception of me getting kind of sick there that last morning, Mm -hmm. I had a great time.
0: Awesome. One other thing I wanted to, to bring up that we did while we were there was, you know, the, the film festival was hosted in this hotel, the Reed House Hotel Nice Place in Chattanooga and purportedly haunted hotel room. So they had a um, a, a little tour you could take where one of the, the hotel employees uh, shows you the room and tells you the story of the, the woman who was killed there, which I think that took place in the 30s. 1930s, and they had the room refurbished. 20s, I believe, but 20s. Okay, they had the room refurbished like with period furniture and appliances and stuff like that. And I thought that was really cool. It was what maybe a 10 or 15 minute, you know, tour. Three rooms in the in the hotel suite that we went through. Um, but I thought that was a cool cool thing to do at this film festival, which I don't know if I specified earlier. Chattanooga Film Festival is for Mostly genre movies, horror, sci-fi, uh, weird stuff like that. There are traditional like sour parties, just as comedy, you know. There are traditional movies that play, you know, as well. But um, it, it's uh, largely, I think, devoted to like cult cinema and like um, genre movies. So that was a cool addition. What do you guys think of the of the of the hotel uh, haunted hotel aspect? I, I'm glad you brought it up. I'd totally forgotten about it. <laughs>
1: Not totally. I've I've shared the story of that room with. Uh, several people from work and and it it's comes up in my thoughts uh, the murder room mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah it, it was it was fun it was a lot of fun I'm not sure how much of it I buy you know right. but uh, it's entertaining to go through it and and to hear the story and then the the kind of the um the epilogue of uh, Al Capone coming through mm-hmm. uh, yeah 10, 15 years later was cool
0: that he talked about
1: that first. So it was more like a prologue. Yeah. Get it
2: straight,
0: Bill. (laughs) Um, any thoughts on it? Uh, David, before we move on? Yes.
2: The, uh, the man who was in charge of tour did a very good job of presenting it in an energetic and entertaining manner. There was one part, like he was definitely trying to hype it up how, uh, it was definitely haunted and how people who don't believe in ghosts, they've gone there and then they left because now they believe in ghosts. And, uh, One of the things he said, and maybe I'm an idiot for thinking this, and it's not how it works at all, but he mentioned that if you have us, if you stay there and you listen to music, eventually underneath the music you're listening to, no matter what it is, you're going to hear 1920s jazz music. Because, you know, that was the popular genre of music when the murder originally happened. Yeah. And when he said that, I thought, wait a minute, don't they play jazz music in the lobby? (laughs) you're probably just doing the lobby creeping in poking holes
1: i believe it
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i guess that's pretty much all we got um david rank the four movies we watched you can throw the presentation in there as well wait a minute are we not going to talk about Tales from the Crypt? Oh, uh, well, I guess we can. So one of the things I was excited about seeing at the at the convention was a live script reading for a Tales from the Crypt movie that never got made. We found out on the day, uh, the last day we were there, that it's actually a virtual-only uh, event. So I went on the website later. I could never find it. I only check it out once. So I didn't try too hard, I guess Uh, I wasn't able to to find it on the virtual page either, but there was another podcast recording they did live of, a couple of guys, producer. I think the producer and the director of Tales from the Crypt: Demon Night and Tales from the Crypt: Bordello of Blood. I think their podcast is called How Not to Make a Movie, and they did a live show on Sunday at the Film Festival. So we we checked that out, uh, and it was pretty interesting. Still hoping I can find the uh, the live script reading somewhere online eventually. But what what did, what did you have? Something specific you wanted to bring up about it?
2: I thought you would, and you just forgot. Yeah, viewing them would count uh, stories from the whole situation. Maybe I'm misremembering this, but wasn't there one
0: actor who played like a major character who refused to learn any of his lines? Uh, Yeah, they talked about on Bordello of Blood how Dennis Miller was not super easy to work with i i think the way it worked out is he didn't really want to do the movie but they offered him so much money he was like well i guess i've got to do this movie uh, and so his heart was definitely not in it seemingly and so they didn't have a lot of good things to say about uh his attitude on set or his performance or anything but, but yeah that they have a, those two guys were, were fairly entertaining so uh, their podcast i think is called how not to make a movie anybody wants to check them out what about uh you sick boy what do you have to
1: say about what you sold there I was sick that morning and I don't remember a lot of it. And most of the time kind of laying down in the back, I think. Yeah. I didn't I I I missed a lot of it. I don't I don't remember a lot of it. I was not doing well that morning. <laughs> uh
0: there was one other remember, I had you drive home. Right. Well, about halfway I took over, yeah. Speaking about the the timing
2: of which we got there, I'm really glad that I mean, we had to to see what we wanted to see, but I'm glad that we got there when we did with the weather because I felt like if we got there a few days earlier or a few days later, it would have been scorching hot Mm. with how the weather's been lately. And I feel like if we had to patrol the streets when it was that hot, it would almost make us wish for a nuclear winter.
0: Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too bad weather-wise. You know, one other thing I was gonna bring up, I did manage to watch a couple of things on the virtual part of the festival. I'm just gonna uh, talk about one real quick. Uh, it was called Hell Hath No Fury, and it was essentially about a married couple who were trying to kill each other on the same night. Like 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 dual suicide, or they hated you know, each other. Like they hated each other. They were like sneakily like. You know, she's trying to poison him. He's trying to, you know, catch her off guard. And it was only about an hour and maybe 10 minutes long. It would have worked a lot better as like maybe a 30 minute short film, I think, than an actual 70 minute feature. Yeah. Uh, but it was fairly entertaining. It had a, a, I like the ending quite a bit, actually. But um, this is a film by Zachary Burns on the poster that I'm looking at here. So Zachary Burns, I guess, the director. And Jacob Ryan Snowball's novel and Leah Philpot are or the leads, and they were both doing this weird, like really theatrical, almost like a stage play type performances, which which I found kind of grating. <laughs> and they they did a good job. Like I don't want to criticize the performances as far as like how they were. They pulled off what they were trying to do. I just thought it was kind of annoying, like the way times that they were overacting and, and stuff like that. But I think that was intentional. But yeah, it's called Hell Hath No Fury and it was entertaining enough. I just thought it was probably too long by about half <laughs> for what it was because there wasn't a whole lot to it. It was just two people trying to kill each other, you know, in their home. But yeah, that's pretty much all, all we got on as far as the movies. David, can you rank the the four we watched on site there? Uh, yeah, I guess Bolly Max in the future,
2: Sour Party, uh, Stephen King, I thought they were interchangeable. Sour Party and Stephen King, in terms of the winking, mm-hmm. so they're like close to each other in quality. And then Satan wants you. So that's number one, right? Satan
1: wants you. No, <laughs> no he did it from one to four. <laughs> I know.
0: Uh, what about you, Bill? What? How would you rank them? Uh,
1: number four would have been Satan wants you. Number three then would have been. Let me think. Number one is is going to be Sour Party. Mm-hmm. Number two. Would probably be how to sell a haunted house. Are we ranking that one? Sure. Yeah, I'll do that. And then number three would have been Stephen King. No, number three would have been Max and Molly. And then number four would have been Stephen King. And number five would have been <laughs> would have been Satan once. Well, anyway, my <laughs> I'm I'm screwing the rankings up. My bad. <laughs> no, crystal clear. If we're
2: including how the a Haunted House, I guess that was probably my favorite event to be a part of.
0: Well, I'll go I'll go from five to one. Five is probably King on Screen. And again, I liked all of this stuff. Like I liked King on Screen. I would watch it again. But King on Screen would be five. Four would probably be Sour Party. Three would be Molly and Max. Two would probably be How to Sell a Haunted House. And then one would be Satan Wants You. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, four movies, five events, I guess. Good time was had by all. So if anybody's listening and is thinking about going to Chattanooga for – uh, the CFF, I would recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Um, kind of hoping they get back to where they can do multiple screens, just so I can see more of the of the features that I was interested in. But either way, I'll, I'm expecting I'll be back next year. Do you guys have anywhere on social media you want to point people to before we roll out? Uh, no. the saw a cool video by Casually Comics where she
2: compared an episode of Tales from Equipped to its comic book counterpart. One about the guy who drags the dead body into the police station and says, This guy murdered
0: me. (laughs) I have not seen that one.
1: i d I don't have any uh anything to plug. I'm a I'm a pretty shy and bashful guy. (laughs) Okay.
0: Any other movies or anything you want to talk about that you've seen recently? You know, last couple weeks?
2: Well, you uh you haven't seen it, but we saw uh I guess it's the third in a troyogy. The first two movies are clearly connected. But the third one, I thought it was a part with the other two, but maybe it's just a movie that happens to be the same genre and the same two lead actors. But it was called uh, Boot Hill. It was a uh, Terrence Hill and uh, Bud Spencer movie. I believe that's mm-hmm. their name. Uh, it was a western where uh, a guy ends up getting wrapped up with a circus, and uh, this guy is wanted by these uh, villains, right? And because he's hiding out with circus, these uh, guys mess with one of the performances and kill one of the members of the circus. So that gives the circus invested interest in helping our two heroes uh, get back at these guys who want them and get them off their back and get back the money that they deserve. So what was that um, one called?
1: I it, I didn't really enjoy the movie. It was the first <laughs> it's the trilogy. It's the, first off... Hey, we need to set up. It's it's an Italian movie that it's like those old Italian spaghetti westerns where film crews would go over to Italy and film a movie that's supposed to take place in the Wild West in the United States. Mm-hmm. But they it's mainly comprised of Italian actors and the they they say their lines in English, but a lot of them get somebody else will read their lines like in Dub Dober. First two, I thought, were pretty entertaining. The The main guy is kind of like a knockoff Clint Eastwood. And, uh, you know, the real smooth talker, always got a little cigar in his mouth kind of guy. He's uh, Terrence Hill. But the third one was just a mess. It, it really, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend watching it. The first two were okay. It,
2: uh, it felt like there were a lot of things I liked about the movie, but none of it came together in a satisfying way. One thing that I thought was really charming on its own, but doesn't really have much of a place, is the circus, like, disbands, like, off screen because the guy died. And then, like, five minutes later, Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer come in, and they're like, Alright, let's put the plan action. What happened to the circus? While well, you were gone, the circus disbanded. But you know what? We're gonna get the game back together. And there's this montage of them getting all the members back together. And I, there's a great gag where two of the circus were like, one of them is working a dead end job behind a desk. And then two of the acrobats come in like hand standing. And that's their signal that it's time to get back together. And so the guy like leaves his job behind and he like hand stands and walks out there and everyone's confused. And that scene comes out of nowhere, but it's charming, but it comes out of nowhere. And every scene mm-hmm. that movie is paced so that, it just shows up so randomly, like, they do the thing where they ride off into the sunset, but it's like, they shoot the bad guy or whatever, and then it cuts to everybody partying for a couple of seconds, and then it cuts to them watching circus people ride by, and one of the side characters stayed with one of the girls, and they're like, oh look, he's gone, and then it smash cut- and after he- they're done saying their lines, it smash cuts to them riding off into the sunset for like five seconds, and then it fades in the black.
1: Not a very well-made movie, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> what, what was the name of it again? Boot Hill. Well, uh,
1: and not yeah. H-E-E-L-L, but H-I-L-L.
2: There was a guy in that movie who was mute and deaf, and during the last fight scene, there's a joke where the guy who was mute and deaf, right, somebody's sneaking up behind him, and so Bud, he says, Look out! And the guy turns around and is able to avoid it, and he's like, I thought you were deaf. And then the guy who was mute and deaf says, it must have been the
1: excitement. But yeah, it's the first two I would recommend watching. I don't remember their names, though. So. Well, I think they were called Aces High, and
2: the first one has the best title. It's called God Forgives, But I Don't.
0: <laughs> I do like that title.
1: Recently, I saw, uh, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've only seen like the first three or four episodes of Lockwood & Co. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's Based on, on a book series, evidently, but it's about, it's kind of more in the vein of, I don't, what do they call it, like young adult, but it's yeah. really like for teenagers kind of right. stuff. It's, I think it's more along those veins, because the, um, the 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 plot is that either in an alternate turn, timeline or in the very near future, there's an outbreak of ghosts, and it gets to where you can't even go outside at night because there's so many ghosts huh. and the, these kids like teenagers start manifesting these gifts and abilities that help them fight against the ghost. And, uh, so it's, it's about some kids that, that are fighting ghosts and they're like, they're probably supposed to be like 15 or 16 years old. Yeah. But I think it's entertaining. Uh, I'd recommend watching it if you get a chance.
0: All right. Yeah. I don't think I've heard of that one. So, too spooky for me. <laughs> I actually, I think I mentioned this movie to you when we were on our trip. Um, we were talking about Robert Mitchum, and uh, I just recently found out about a movie called The Yakuza that I'd never heard of. That's basically like Robert Mitchum versus the Japanese mob. Uh, at least that's what I thought the thought it was. So I, I went ahead and bought. I found it on uh, a Blu-ray and picked it up and watched it last weekend, and it was really good. Have you? You had never heard of it either, right? Right. What was it called again? The Yakuza. Yakuza. Yeah, and it's uh, Robert Mitchum and Japanese is Takakura Ken. He's he's kind of like the co-lead, and uh, it's basically Mitchum in Japan trying to uh, help one of his like uh, his friends like mobbed up. Is has got a, a conflict with a a Japanese mob figure, so he's sent to Japan to try and help clear it up. Uh, and then you know, violence ensues, and it's it's really cool. It's got a lot. It's got some shootouts. It's got some like samurai sword fighting, which I was kind of surprised because it's not you know it's it's set in the '70s when it was released or whatever. But I was surprised, uh, even more surprised. I'd never heard of it, given like some of the names that were involved. Like Sidney Pollock was the director. It was written by Paul Schrader and Robert Town. So it seemed like it should have been a pretty big movie. I came, I think it came out in '73. Uh, and it was a Warner Brothers flick, but yeah, I'd never heard of it till a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, I guess at this point. But I liked it quite a bit. I would uh, recommend it next time you're over. You know, I'll let you borrow it if you want to check it out. But
1: yeah, it sounds
0: like it's up my alley. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this special episode of Because Movies Slash Mall Screeners. Thanks to my Chattanooga Film Fest correspondents, Bill and David. Maybe we'll be doing another one next year. We'll see. Thanks for jumping on here with us, guys. Yeah,
2: no problem. It was nice to be a part of the show. Thanks for having us on. Perhaps we can do another
0: episode someday. Sounds good.
2: (laughs) This is crack. Rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine, and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes, so every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Look, everybody wants to be cool, but doing it with crack isn't just wrong. It could be dead wrong.